How is everybody doing this morning? Yeah, we made it through the storm. How many people lost their power yesterday? Not nearly as many uh, as the first service. First service, most of the church lost power. So they came grumpy, you're here happy. Uh, I'm Jeff, if you don't know who I am. I'm uh, one of the pastors here at the church. And I'm just super excited to be able to share from Scripture with you this morning. And last week, I introduced to you the writings of the Apostle Peter. We, we started to dig into uh, what the Apostle Peter wrote in First Peter. And so as we continue to work through his letter to these dispersed Christians throughout Asia Minor, which is currently Turkey... Uh, Remember not to forget who Peter is. Last week, we spent a ton of time just looking at who Peter himself was. Who is the Apostle Peter? And I want you to not forget that piece of the message. Remember who Peter is. A normal guy, just like most of us, in the family business, a fisherman, but also empowered by the Holy Spirit. And so last week we talked about that transition that kind of happens in Peter's life when he's introduced to the Holy Spirit. And in the opening verses of Peter's letter, he stresses specifically their identity. That's what he's working on actually throughout most of 1 Peter, is that it's all actually rooted in our identity in Jesus Christ. And so, uh, and specifically the role of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit in salvation. What does that bring to us as our identity? Because if we don't know what our identity is, then we're going to struggle in our faith in many ways. I, I actually believe that This is because Peter understands that how we live comes from who we are. And we need to have a deep understanding of our identity in order to live the life that Jesus has called us to live. So I think Peter has a strategy here. He starts in the first two verses just working on you recognizing your identity in Christ. And he's going to continue that discussion today. And as I said last week, I I truly believe that the church in North America specifically has a major identity crisis, and we don't even recognize it. We just kind of go about our thing, doing church the way we think church should be, but we're not living in our true identity, sprinkled, Peter said, in the blood of Christ. So as we continue in Peter's letter, read it through that lens about identity. Because this is what Peter's trying to shape in you through this letter. Now he moves from focusing on the redemptive effects of the Godhead and the salvific perimeters of our life in the new covenant, which is just a super fancy way to say he moves from talking about Jesus, Father, and Son, and Holy Spirit, the Godhead, and that role in salvation, just into how we go about living our everyday lives in the new covenant, the new way of living as Christians. And our passage today, you can all open to 1 Peter. We're going to continue in chapter 1, starting at verse 3. Our passage today is an amazing eulogy. Do you know what a eulogy is? It's an amazing eulogy to the Father. 
So he, he starts this off with saying, all praise to God. It's a eulogy to the Father that overflows. Now, I want you to hear this. Overflows into a joyful expectation of salvation and how our expectant posture as Christians can help us during difficult times. In the Greek text, now I'm going to share this with you because I'm a geek. I'm a a bit of a Bible geek, and I think that this is kind of cool. And I'm also going to share this with you, not just because it's cool, because it actually helps you to understand the passage and what the tone of the passage is, how Peter's approaching this passage in the Greek text, because I think we drastically miss that in our English versions of the Bible. English is kind of a lousy language. We use things like exclamation marks, and even in today, we use like emojis, smiley, happy faces and and party things and different things like that to try to express the emotion that we're putting into our words. And the beautiful thing about Greek is that there's a lot of different ways that they're able to express this. And verses 3 to 12 in the Greek text is actually one massive sentence. So we've made it into 12 specific verses. We have commas, we have periods. But in the Greek text, when you read it, it's actually just one long run-on sentence. It's not short. It's not a short sentence. It's still long, but it's one long sentence. Now, the reason that I'm telling you this is because it actually gives us a lot of information of the tone of what it means, what Peter's doing in this text. And so I'm going to try and simplify it for you. It's like Peter is telling you one of the most important things you're ever going to possibly hear in your life. That's the tone in this text. He's about to share with you as he praises God, because that's who this text is for. As he praises God, he's sharing with you one of the most important things he's, he's ever shared with you in his life. Get a tone of sheer excitement and sheer joy. It's like Peter's standing at the edge uh, uh, on his toes, so to speak, uh, listening, saying, listen to what I say. Hear what I'm saying. This is the tone that the text gives us. And this thing that I have to say, it's life-changing. It'll change your life forever if you truly understand it. You see, whenever Greek is written this way, it shows us the emotion that is involved, and it's a lot more effective than an emoji or an exclamation mark. And so, because a lot of you don't know Greek, I want you to kind of be able to engulf yourself into the actual text that Peter has written and to understand what's jumping out of the page at the reader who's reading this letter. They see that Peter is super excited. It's one big expression of praise that overflows with joy and excitement. Does that get you excited? Because Peter wants you to be. You're going to see that he is constantly pressing into this overflowing of joy and excitement. In verses 3 to 5, Peter introduces us to the theme of salvation. So you can sense his excitement in this. He's going to talk about the theme of salvation and what that salvation actually means for each of us. He's continuing, folks, to press into our identity in Jesus and where that identity comes from. So we'll open our Bibles to 1 Peter chapter 1, starting at verse 3. I'm going to break it into segments, so we'll do 3 to 5 first. 
Peter says, all praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. It is by great mercy that we have been born again. Because God raised Jesus Christ from the dead. Now, we live with great expectation. And we have a priceless inheritance. An inheritance that is kept in heaven for you, pure and undefiled before the reach of change and decay. And through your faith, God is protecting you by his power until you receive this salvation, which is ready to be revealed on the last day for all to see. So picture Peter standing at the edge of his toes, praising God and giving you those words. Let me ask you, does that that get you worked up? The words that I just read, are you like, whoa, this is life-changing. This is totally radical stuff. Or were you just like, yeah, I know most of that. See, Peter opens with a direct praise, a direct praise expression to God. He's thankful for the salvation that we have each been given, but he says something very important. He's thankful for the salvation that we have each been given by God's great mercy. He calls this being born again, or some translations say a new birth. I I laugh because uh, when I first came to Christ over 20 years ago, I remember some of my friends saying to me, you're not one of those born agains, are you? And I remember as I started, because I wasn't sure what to say, right? So I remember as I started to study, I'm like, yeah, absolutely I am. Because a born again is a Christian. Someone who's not, just is not. See, the born again language, folks, is very biblical. A rebirth, a spiritual awakening. Something in you was dead and now something has been birthed through salvation. It's an important concept in the scriptures that actually, folks, shapes our identity. So it really makes me laugh when we argue about whether it truly exists or not. Our human need for salvation needs to be at the forefront of your understanding of everything taught in the New Testament. Everything needs to be through that lens of our human need to be saved. If we don't know that we are dead in sin without Christ, that we need to be rebirthed or born again in order to find our identity, then we've been lost, we'll be completely lost in what Peter is saying, and folks, we'll miss the excitement of it. We'll be kind of lethargic about it. We'll be like, yeah, I'm saved. Folks, I believe that many in the church don't truly understand our true need for salvation. Our true need to be born again. Our need, now hear me, to completely submit our lives to Jesus as our king. Or at least, I think many of us have forgotten what it means to be saved. Do you remember For some of you, we're going to have to go way back. But do you remember how excited, how motivated you were about faith? You see, this passage is an amazing reminder 
to never take being saved for granted. This rebirth that Peter is talking about is what changes or has changed our status with God. It's the only way to change folks. You know, you can take cognitive behavioral therapy. You can take dialectical behavioral therapy. You can use narrative styles of therapy. And none of that actually creates true change. I know this because I know all of those things. I've worked with individuals with those things. And the only people that I've seen successfully change are the ones who are rebirthed in Christ. So that stuff may aid us along the way, but it's truly salvation that brings change to who you are. We have this deep need to be saved, and our world says, what do I need to be saved from? We take it for granted. And it can only be done through the mercy of Jesus Christ, through his death and his resurrection. In Titus Chapter 3, verse 5. Listen to what Paul says to Titus. He says, He saved us, Jesus saved us, not because of the righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy. He washed away our sins, giving us a new birth and new life through the Holy Spirit. Many people believe that if we start attending church, If we clean up our ethics, then we've achieved salvation. But that's simply not what scripture says at all. I want you to hear this. Our ethical performance is not our salvation. Our ethical performance is not our salvation. Salvation comes from grace. It's free and it cannot be earned. Now, Peter goes on to say that if you've received this rebirth, then the way you live life actually changes. It's transformed. He says, before you lived by your own power, expecting your own abilities to be enough to get through life. But now, because of God raising Jesus from the dead, notice the resurrection there. We tend to focus so much on the death and and the, the word propitiation that we miss the fact that Scripture, and specifically the New Testament, focuses on the resurrection as being the gateway to salvation. It's his resurrection, his resurrecting power, the fact that God brought him back from the dead. Now, because of God raising Jesus from the dead, Peter says we live with great expectation. That's awesome. Like, folks, that is just amazing that because of this thing that God did with his son on the cross, conquering death, it now causes those who are saved to live with great expectation. Now, this is important to Peter's message. It's our salvation in Christ that motivates us to live our lives expecting God to move and work within it. When you're saved, you live saved. You live in a way that just expects God to move, God to do amazing things. When I was a youth pastor, we used to sing this song. And it was a very simple song. And it was upbeat and fun. Now you're going to see to Peter, that's important. And it just simply went like this. Don't judge my singing. 
We're going to sing like the saved. And you know what would happen? The kids would start jumping around, high-fiving one another, saying, we're going to sing like the saved. When you go into scripture, folks, the saved actively praise Jesus. They don't passively do it. There's an expectant joy in how the saved sing. Now, I know it's breaking all the rules of church. But it's what the Bible says. Think of it. This expectation that he's talking about. This salvation. This Christ motivating us to live our lives. To live saved. Think of it like this. Now, I know you're not all going to understand this analogy because you don't all understand hockey. Which I do question your salvation because of that. (laughs) But... We'll we'll let you in to to something here. Think of it like this. Try to picture this with me. Scripture's saying that God is our father. That he has brought us into the most amazing of families. This is what Peter started with about our identity. That we are Abraham's seed. That we have been brought into this narrative, to this story, to this family. Now, God is an active father. He's not the kind of dad that's screaming and hollering and telling you to skate harder and and different things. He's not causing problems. He's not yelling at the refs. But he's a father who is always active and at your game. As a matter of fact, he never misses a hockey game. It doesn't matter what he's got going on, what issues he's dealing with. He never misses your hockey game. He's always in the stands cheering you on in a positive way. And you just expect him to be there. You just know that he'll be there watching, cheering, and protecting you. Even if you can't spot him in the stands, you have this deep peace and comfort that dad is there watching your game. This faithful dad has also promised us everything. Quite literally everything. Peter says that we've been given a priceless inheritance. Everything that is our father's now also belongs to us. And there's nothing that can take this away from you. This inheritance is kept for you in heaven where it can't be defiled by the world. And because of your faith, Peter says, your trust in Jesus... God is protecting you until you receive everything he's promised. No matter what happens in life, if you place your trust in Jesus rather than yourself, can can I say that again? If you place your trust, no matter what happens in life, if you place your trust in Jesus rather than in yourself, he will protect you and take care of you. like a dad does. Peter says he'll do this until you receive this salvation which is ready to be revealed to you in the last days. Does anybody get confused by that? Because I thought you already said we were saved and we're supposed to act like the saved, sing like the saved, be like the saved, and so on. We're supposed to live saved and you just said I was saved and now the scripture just said I wasn't. That salvation is something that's coming later. 
Well, it's, there's a really simple answer to that. I've preached on this numerous times. There's an already not yet aspect of salvation. And we're going to see this as Peter dives into what the prophets say. But scripture describes salvation as something that we have already received through our faith in Jesus, yet we have not completely received until he comes again. Very simple. He says that we're washed in the blood of Christ, that we are living uh, without sin. Is that our actual reality? So we can live saved, lived with sin being conquered, but yet there's still sin in the world. But that, that's the right now aspect, the already aspects of salvation, that we've been given something special, we'll get into that, but that also there's this not yet thing where it actually becomes a reality where sin is gone. And that that's something we will receive when Jesus returns again. In other words, we are saved and we're being saved all at the same time. Fun stuff. Story of my life. I love studying that stuff. This is why Peter's encouraging them, folks, that it's your trust in Jesus that protects you as you wait for Jesus to return. Trust and know that this promise of a life without sin is a promise that will be fulfilled through faith in the end. Now, this is not something, folks, that a change in ethic or regular church attendance can accomplish. It just isn't. It's not something that a change of ethic or regular church attendance can accomplish. Those things, sure, they may help, but salvation comes through placing your trust completely in Jesus, following Jesus, as we talked about in our last series. And it changes your identity from a broken sinner to someone what Peter says, to use his language, sprinkled in the blood of Jesus. And that's a reference to Deuteronomy. It causes you, he says, to live with expectation. It gives us, as other translations say, a living hope through Jesus. We no longer must rely on ourselves and our own strengths. Now we can rest in Jesus but this will not be perfect on this side of earth. Resting in Jesus, right? Jesus says, what are you worried about? Why do you spend so much time worrying about tomorrow when we already just have today? And this is what he's talking about, is fully relying on Jesus. We spend most of our time worrying about the past and the future, as I said in our, our Christmas series. And Jesus is saying, no, when you're relying on me, you're just getting through today because today's not going to be perfect on this side of earth. Listen to what Peter says. Verse 6. So because of this salvation that I'm talking about, that I'm standing at the edge of my toes, screaming, praising God, saying, look at what we've received. He said, so be truly glad. You see this gladness, this joy that he constantly presses into. He said, there's a wonderful joy ahead, even though, there's a catch, even though you have to endure many trials for a little while, these trials will show that your faith is genuine. It's being tested as fire tests and purifies gold through your faith, 
uh, is far, though your faith is far more precious than mere gold, so when your faith remains strong through many trials, it will bring you much praise and glory and honor on the day when Jesus Christ is revealed to the whole world. Be truly glad and filled with joy, even though life might be tough at times. Peter's going to keep pressing into this. Be truly glad. Be full of joy. He's giving us a glimpse of what the posture looks like to be truly saved and to live saved. Trust and expect that when you live with your faith in Jesus, you'll be able to remain strong to endure trials and challenges. And he, and he says that these trials that you'll go through, they're actually evidence of your faith in Jesus. When we go through difficult things and we get through them by trusting in the promises of salvation, then it shows our faith to the world. These trials, folks, are what shape us into Jesus. They are the thing that purifies our lives like precious gold. Peter says, now hear this, please. Peter says that it is the way that you respond to trials that shows that your faith is genuine. This is a really interesting statement to me because it alludes to the fact that maybe some who claim faith are not actually genuine. Doesn't it? In other words, how you respond to difficult things shows if your faith is real. Do you respond by having faith? By resting in the truth of the promises of salvation? Or do you take things into your own hands and control the situation yourself? Let me make it even more practical. How do you treat people when you're stressed and under pressure? Are you genuinely a joyful person? A believer that lives with great joy and gladness, Peter says is showing others a faith that trusts Jesus and rests in him during difficult times. It's in this kind of faith that it's this kind of faith that's loving and kind even when someone offends you or wrongs you. This is just basic teachings of Jesus, isn't it? It's the kind of faith that's saturated folks in the fruits of the spirit. During times of trials, the fruitfulness of your response is critical to show God and others that your faith is genuine. It's not perfect. In no way is he saying that. But how you respond matters. So expect difficult times, Peter says, and respond to them by expecting Jesus to be with you through them and to help shape your response. We have this myth in the Christian church. I hear people say it all the time. God will never give you more than you can handle. And often we quote 1 Corinthians. The passage actually says that God will not give you any temptation that he will not give you a way out of. There's a big difference. And what he's saying there, folks, is that you will endure difficult things. 
But in the midst of those difficult things, you will be given choices to make, and the Spirit will guide you in those choices, but you have choices to make. What path will you take? The path that gets you out or the path that keeps you in? That's what Scripture is actually communicating. God will always give you that decision out of the issue, or you can stay and wallow in it. So expect these difficult times, but respond to them by being expectant of Jesus. Trust and believe that he's actually in this with you and that he is going to help to shape your response to these trials. James chapter 1, you knew I was going there. Verses 2 to 3 says this, Dear brothers and sisters, when troubles of any kind come your way, consider it an opportunity Here it is again, for great joy. The New Testament keeps talking about joy. Why? Why do I keep harping on you about joy? Hmm. For you know that when your faith is tested, your endurance has a chance to grow. So don't crumble or wallow in your troubles. Grow in them because they're an opportunity, Scripture says, for great joy. Now, Peter goes on to say a passage that I really deeply enjoy. He says, you love him even though you've never seen him. Though you do not see him now, you trust him and you rejoice with a glorious inexpressible, here it is again, joy. He's showing you the posture of salvation, folks. When you're saved, there is a glorious, inexpressible joy present in your life. The reward for trusting him, people interested in a reward, is salvation of your souls. Now, I love this passage because Peter has seen Jesus. Remember who Peter is? The apostle who walked with Jesus? Peter literally knows the person Jesus. He knows him in the flesh. He's actually seen him. We have not. The people he's writing to have not. And he recognizes this and addresses it with these believers. He commends their faith in something that they've never seen and says that this kind of faith brings great rewards in the end. The greatest is your salvation. In other words, Jesus knows that faith is not easy, but through the Spirit, you can place your trust in something you've never seen. Actually, that's what faith is. This faith changes our identity. It means our souls will be saved. Now, in this last section, Peter does something super interesting. And it's interesting to me. Again, Bible Geek's going to come out for a second. Why does Peter keep going back to the Old Testament when he's writing a letter to a group of people who have never read it? Remember, we established he's actually not writing to Jews. There would have been some Jews scattered within this, but they believe that he's writing this letter to Gentile churches. And the Gentile churches were not well-versed in the Old Testament. And so why does Peter keep bringing them back into it? 
I'll give you a really simple answer. We're going to dig into it more as we progress through this series. But I believe it's because when you're invited into a new family, you need to learn about that family. And so Peter will bring things in about the Jews, and in this specific situation about the prophets and their search for salvation. He brings them into this on purpose because it's an identity thing. Remember he said, you're now brought in and you're Abraham's seed. Now listen to what he says. This salvation was something even the prophets wanted to know more about when they prophesied about this gracious salvation prepared for you. This tells us something about prophecy. They themselves don't even have it figured out. He says, they wondered what time or situation the Spirit of Christ within them was talking about when he told them in advance about Christ's suffering and his great glory afterward. They were told that their messages were not for themselves, but for you. And now this good news has been announced to you by those who preached in the power of the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. It's also wonderful that even the angels are eagerly watching these things happen. Even the angels are eagerly watching these things happen. What is happening now, the salvation that the Bible's talking about, that Peter is presenting to us, is something super special that even the prophets themselves didn't experience. They were told that their messages were not for themselves, but they were for you. And now this good news has been announced to you by those who preached in the power of the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, Peter says. And it's all so wonderful that even the angels are eagerly watching these things happen. Heaven is excited because of salvation. It's interesting because the church isn't. But yet heaven is. And as we anticipate the day of salvation, the return of Christ as our king, Peter wants us to understand just how big of a deal Jesus really is. It was a big deal to the prophets. It was a big deal to the family that you have been brought into. Jesus is a really big deal. I almost did that voice of Ed Sullivan. Anybody ever really big deal or whatever? It doesn't matter. I'm not that old, by the way. He says that the salvation that you're living in, it's something that the prophets were searching for. Even the prophets didn't fully understand how this would all work, but they sure longed to see it. Listen to what Matthew, in Matthew chapter 13, verse 17, Jesus says this. He says, I tell you the truth. I love it when he says that. I'm not lying to you. Like, I'm really telling you the truth. I tell you the truth. Many prophets and righteous people longed to see what you see, but they don't see it. And they longed to hear what you hear, but they didn't hear it. Peter is stressing 
that we are very fortunate to be living in a time where salvation has been revealed and is being revealed. We can experience now and live now under the grace of God. There's something that this is something that the prophets talked about, but were never able to experience themselves. This, folks, is the good news that has been preached to you by the Holy Spirit. Peter is reminding them that they're part of an overarching story, a story that they have been invited into, and it's a story that defines who you are. This story excites even the angels as they watch it unfold. In our passage today, Peter focuses on who we are in Christ and what this new identity as children of God brings to the table. So firstly, it brings us great joy and a heart of thankfulness. And second, it motivates us to live life expecting God to be there. Many in the church today miss this. Many of us just don't live expecting Jesus to truly be part of our day. But as Peter so brilliantly and passionately points out, when you live with expectation, God will not disappoint. When you live expecting God to move, he does in ways that we could never imagine. The worship team can join me. We've been given a great gift, folks. We've been given a gift of grace. And this gift is something that we don't deserve. Yet Jesus offers it to us anyway. Folks, we can live forgiven, freely forgiven. Now hear what I say. We can live freely forgiven for everything that we have done and for everything that we are about to do. Think about that. That's what salvation brings to us. Forgiveness for everything we have done and everything that we are about to do. This is the gift of salvation through the cross of Jesus Christ. And it's not a gift that we should take for granted. It's a gift that the world should be told about. It's a gift that should bring us great joy. Why do I keep harping about our posture before the throne, our posture in church, our posture in life? Is because scripture keeps telling me salvation equals an abundant joy. Even in times of sorrow. Let me ask you this simple question this morning. Are you living your life saved? Do you expect God to work and move in your everyday? Can I encourage you with something? Live in a way that trusts in Jesus. Give your life to him fully and stop trying to control everything and just give your whole life to Christ. It'll bring you joy in moments where joy becomes difficult. It'll bring you peace when peace seems impossible. 
The salvation that is offered to us is not something we earn. It's something we receive simply by following Jesus. So let's stop focusing on the unimportant things of this world and let's center our lives on the gift of salvation that Jesus offers us. If you're a person who professes Jesus as your king, never take salvation, the salvation that you've received and will receive for granted. Live saved. People should notice that your life is different because you're saved. And if you don't know Jesus, but you want to, it's actually really simple. The church has made it super difficult for you. We say, you know, you got to pray this prayer. If you haven't prayed this prayer, then I'm not sure that it's triggered your salvation. Or we say that you've got to earn it through your ethics. And if you don't live this certain ethic, then you can't possibly be saved. Folks, the church has kind of been lying to you for years. It's not like that. It's very simple. Accept that you need to be saved. Accept that you need to be saved. A lot of my friends say to me, what do I need to be saved from, Jeff? My life is great. I don't need this salvation thing you're talking about. The first step is accepting that you need to be saved. No matter how good your life is, no matter how competent you are, you need to be saved. And realize that you are not able to earn God's grace. Instead, you ask for it by faith, by believing. Ask him for forgiveness and give him your life. And then expect him to be part of your everyday life.